It's been explained to me a long time ago uh, that truth can always be illustrated. If something, if someone is claiming something is true, but they can't back it up with examples uh, or evidences of it, then it's really questionable whether to receive that as truth. Examples, gravity. It's very easy to demonstrate gravity. Pick something up, put it down. I pick it up, I put it down. I pick it up, I put it down. Math, one plus one is two. Math, and that will always be true. It's, it's gone through that even sending people to the moon and bringing them back is because of one plus one is two. Simple, simple truth that is true all the time. That's why Jesus consistently taught in this method, using parables, short stories and illustrations on a topic of which he was teaching to relate to the people, to illustrate the truth to them. And these stories were relevant to the listeners of the day. In Matthew chapter 13, which we'll be looking at part of it, there's a collection of parables in there. You have the parable of uh, the sower, the parable of the weeds, parable of the mustard seed, the yeast, the hidden talent, the pearl, and the parable of the net. There are seven listed in this chapter, and we'll be looking at two of them in a little bit. But in Matthew 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus states, Jesus spoke these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything thing to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Illustrations have always helped me remember things and to clarify things in particular points of the discussions. So in the use of parables and illustrations, were used to demonstrate the truth, to help bring it home, to drive the points more closely home to the listeners who would understand what was say, being said for the most part, and thereby to remember particular points that Jesus wanted to be remembered. How many have listened to sermons and next day, what did he talk about? Parables help in that to where when they're stated you could remember oh yes this story relates to this and you could remember at least an important part of the message this morning I'm going to bring to you some views of two very short parables given to the disciples and to us through the scriptures and I guess you could say that we will be looking at a pair of parables these two parables are found in this morning's text in Matthew 13, 44, and 45. But before we read the passage, let us approach the throne. Gracious Lord and Savior, we thank you for your message to us, for your love to us, for your truth and how you've revealed it to us. We thank you for your word for the treasures that it is. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew 13, 44 and 45. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, 
When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Two parables, two verses, very short, but a lot, of, a lot to be reckoned with. Now, Jesus did not give definitive explanations of these parables as he has in some of the other parables. If you read of the earlier parables, and we'll look at some of that in a little bit. So he didn't give some definitive explanations of which, which aspect each of these parables are, but we're, we're going to explore some of those. What I want to present this morning are some different perspectives of these illustrations. I will explain some information on the cultural and the natural elements that the people of the times understood. Each of these parables, we can have two applications. Let us start by looking at one of the view of each of these illustrations. Then I will introduce the historical and cultural details that I have come up with. Then we will look at each passage with the information in mind and have a second look. And finally, I hope to bring the perspectives together. Starting with verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field. In the first perspective, we can label it man's view. In it, the man finds the treasure symbolizes, the man who finds the treasure symbolizes mankind. He may have been searching for something specific, maybe like Mel Fisher looking for treasures off a Spanish galleon sunken off the coast of Florida or somewhere. But he knows what he's looking for and it's there someplace. Or he's just hoping to find something nice. Maybe he has no idea and just stumbled onto the treasure, which has happened many times. It is evident to me that when he finds it, he understands that there is something of great value there in that treasure that he has found. Next, the field. What might the field represent? In our first view is to understand the field to be the Bible, the Word of God. In this perspective, it is a good thing that he was not in another field, or he may not have found the treasure, or the true treasure, which begs the question, what is a treasure? The treasure is the kingdom of God. It is Christ Jesus. It is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So how many fields are there in the world for people to search for the treasure? Some people believe there are many fields in which to find treasure. We hear them say, there are many ways to God. Christ isn't the only way. So there must be other treasures also. The treasures they could find and hold dear from other fields are actually worthless. Could this man have been deceptive in hiding the found treasure and burying it in the field? Now, it was a common practice at that time, and still is somewhat today, for people to hide valuables by burying them. They didn't have 
the extravagant banks to take things to and a safe deposit box to hide things and keep them secure. No, they had, if they wanted to keep them safe, they buried them and then made a little treasure map, maybe like Blackbeard and say the treasure's here, X marks the spot and everything. So they could be able to find it again. But they had to bury it to keep them safer. Do you remember hearing of a guy named Achan? If you recall, in the Older Testament, in the book of Joshua, chapter 7, you can read of this account. Right after Jericho, the walls fell down. Achan kept much of the loot. What did he do? He buried it in his tent. So as to try to hide it from God, because God wouldn't be able to see it if it's underground. So nobody would have known that he was the only one that took things that he shouldn't have and was commanded not to. Well, they knew. God knew, and Joshua was told. And he paid a terrible price. And he had no treasure. In the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, Jesus illustrated the third servant. Do you remember this? The talents were given to three servants of the king. One got 15, one got 10, and one got 5. What did the third servant do? He buried it. He was so afraid that it might be missing and the king would come after him that he buried the treasure or buried the talents that he had. And he was not happy with what happened after that. But he didn't want to lose it, but he did. In our current story, the man found the treasure and wanted to keep it. And thus the common practice was to bury it so that no one else would find it before he could legally own the property. He, wants, he wanted to have the rights to the treasure which were his if he owned the property. Once he bought and owned the property, the treasure was rightfully his. He did legally purchase a field, and it cost him dearly. He recognized the value of the find that he had, or he knew that it had great value, and it was worth it for him to sell all that he had so he could buy it. He was willing to pay any price for the rights to that property. And he had probably shown great patience to have the time to sell everything else he had and constantly wondering if anyone else might have found it. Because trying to sell everything might raise some suspicion and somebody might wonder what's going on. Well, when we look back at the man in the parable, we do not know of his social or his economic status. He could be poor. He could be wealthy. Maybe, maybe he was like an Indiana Jones seeking the lost ark or some other treasure. Maybe he had a metal detector cruising the beach like many hobbyists are looking for anything that's on the beach. Or maybe he just was walking along and tripped over something and lo and behold, there it was. In 1947, a young boy, boys being boys, was out throwing rocks at various targets that he was choosing. One time he threw something and he heard something crash. Well, if it was been me, I might have sort of sulked away and say, whoops, and then 
hidden someplace else. But not him. He went in to see what made that noise. What happened? He came upon a cave and looked inside. And inside were big clay jars, tablets, and things. And he could see that some had been smashed. It was evident to him that this was a storage container. These were storage containers. And somebody was keeping things safe, hidden from view. There must be some sort of treasure. And these were the days before Tupperware and anything. So the ways they had to store them was to keep it in clay pots. So he took some samples of, of what he found and took them home. And you could just sort of see him coming. Dad, Dad, look what I found. Great. And they started looking at him and saying, and he explained it to his father. And his father, well, this might be something valuable. They still kept the, where the area located, but don't you ever recall having being yourself or maybe as a child or some child coming to you and say, Dad, Mom, look what I made, look what I found. The excitement that's there. They have a treasure, they've done something, and they want to give it to you. Then they end up either on the refrigerator or some chest of drawers or keeping someplace for, for future reference. It's hard to contain the excitement when somebody knows that there's something of great value or suspects that there's something of great value. There's something as wonderful has happened in their lives. Hey, we're getting married. We're having a baby. We're, we're buying a new house. The excitement that we're wanting to, to relate to the people. Well, with this, um, in the story, man, in the man's the man in Jesus' story probably had to restrain himself because he found a treasure. He knew there was something there. But he did not want to give away the excitement, again, to arouse suspicion. So, but he wanted to purchase the field. Be sure that he was excited. And like the young boy in 1947, he may not known, have known totally the, the full extent of the value of it. You could just hear... One of the popular commercial lines that they used a few years ago, a shepherd boy's wages, pennies. A common stone, no charge. The Dead Sea Scrolls, priceless. That's how they were discovered. A kid throwing rocks, and he stumbled upon them. Now, it, just to be honest, it get the full value of them. We don't really know the full value, but it took over two years before they really figured out what they were. The patients to see what they were. They knew there was some historical value. But it, isn't it interesting? Some people had one of the greatest treasures ever discovered in their possession, and they have no idea of its value. The point taken from the story in this perspective is that the man is willing to do in order to have the treasures of heaven. He is willing to give up everything. In Matthew 19, 20-25, Jesus is talking to a rich young ruler, if you recall. The man asked Jesus what he must do to get eternal life. What was Jesus' response? Keep the commandments. 
Then in verse 20, it is written, the, the young man responds, I have all these things I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. The young man heard this, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. He didn't realize the treasures in heaven were much more valuable than what he had. Here is a wonderful contrast. One who was willing to give up all that he had for the treasures in heaven. The value of which we cannot fully comprehend. And the rich young ruler who valued his earthly riches more and probably had some idea of the wealth the amount of the wealth that he himself possessed, but no idea of what the values of heaven, the treasures of heaven. In Jesus' parable, the man knows there is great treasure. He is found and he is willing to sacrifice anything to get to keep it. The young ruler was not. What about you? Do you recall the excitement, the joy, all the feelings when you first came to Christ? If you had those feelings? Do you at the, did you at the time realize the vastness of the treasure in Christ? Do we fully realize it even today as brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we keeping it buried, hidden, safely so no one else will see it? Hmm. In the Newer Testament, the Apostle Paul gives us a comparison of earthly treasures versus heavenly treasures again. Paul writes in Philippians 3, 7, and 8, whatever was to, But whatever was to profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ." What are we willing to give up in order to get the treasures of heaven? Do we have other things more valuable in our life? Or maybe we don't realize the true value of heaven's treasures. What in our lives do we treasure more than Christ? It is not necessarily possessions. Paul, and again in Philippians 4, uh, 3, 4, and 6, through 6, said the treasure of it was his heritage. It was the law. Our treasures or anything we could place before Christ in our life. Wealth, we know, power, abilities, knowledge, etc. Could it be you have not found the treasure in heaven yet? If that is so, you have come to the right field. And I pray God reveals it to you today. The second story we're looking at is, from, is similar. A merchant is looking for fine pearls. His search is more specific. He was a merchant actively seeking and so became knowledgeable in the value of pearls. To be successful in any business, you have to know what you're dealing with. If you're dealing in cars, you have to know what cars and the advantages and the disadvantage, which ones are more valuable. The merchant better have a good view, knowledge of the items or else he's not going to be very successful. When he finds one that he knows has great value, 
He's willing to sell everything he has in order to obtain that pearl. He knows there is great value, and he's willing to give up everything. Again, I ask, what are you willing to give up to get the treasures of heaven? Can we even recognize that there is a value in it we come, when we come upon it? Like the boy finding the Dead Sea Scrolls, or like many people on the Antique Roadshow, if you've ever seen that. People are curious about some item they were given or they, they found or they purchased and are pleasantly surprised when they find out that it's actually worth a lot more than they thought. But as in most cases, many of them are severely disappointed with the results. And they say it's a nice paperweight. Now let me introduce you to some of the cultural and the natural elements of the times and we could re-examine these stories with maybe a little different perspective. The treasure hidden in the field. In Jesus' earlier parables, when he explains, the fields are the world. This is stated in one of the previous parables, uh, reference verse 38 of Matthew 13. So I dare say let's use that in this instance. The buried treasure, well, that would be me. That would be you. That would be his church. The field is then purchased by the man who is Christ Jesus and at great cost. Note, he paid for the field. The treasure was already his and he had already possessed it. What man would pay such an extreme price for the field, for the world, for you, for me? Who here this morning was looking for God, the treasures of heaven, and found him on their own? Not too many, I would imagine. In fact, <laughs> even less than that. In Romans 3 verses 10 through 12 we read as it is written there is no one righteous not even one there is no one who understands no one who seeks God all have turned away all have become worthless there is no one who does good not even one so no one is doing the searching can we not really know the true value of the treasure and what are you willing to sacrifice to get it? Especially if we're not seeking it, we're, what are we going to do? If we see the field as the world, the church, and ourselves, what, do, what can we see here? Christ buried the treasure. We're buried with Christ. Because we are his treasure. He purchased us at great cost. When I was a young man, I accepted Christ as my Savior at that time. And I could not fully comprehend the value of the treasures of heaven. No. The treasures I possessed at that time were the toys my parents allowed me to have. So basically, I had nothing. I was dead in my sins, even as a child. The non-living cannot seek anything or possess anything. Thus, I could not seek a treasure nor purchase it. God buried his word in me, and he purchased me. His word is planted in me, and I am his. 
God planted his word in the church and paid the price for us, and we are his. As David states in Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. King David had the treasure, the word of God buried in his heart. The purpose of that was to keep God's word first, to keep himself secure. David was a man after God's own heart. Now I'd like to look at the pearl. First, one source indicated to me that there is a difference in the treasure and pearls. For the Jewish people at that time, it was understood that pearls weren't as valuable as other gems and things. Pearls were more highly regarded by the Gentiles. So if this is true, might it be Jesus is illustrating to the disciples that the treasure in heaven is open to Gentiles also. <clears throat> Second, the nature of the pearl. Well, pearls are very different from other treasured items. Pearls are not metal like gold and silver and cannot be melted down, shaped, or molded. Metals are mined from the earth. Pearls are unlike gemstones. Gemstones may have facets and can be cut and polished to bring out the luster and more valuable value in that item. If a pearl is cut, it is destroyed. Pearls cannot be cut as other gems. Gemstones are mined from the earth also. Pearls are unlike the other treasures in their source, composition, nature. Pearls, unlike diamonds and other gems, are not mined from the earth. They are obtained from a living source. Thus, they have an organic quality to them. The many varieties of mollusks, such as oysters, clams, mussels, conchs, they can each produce pearls. This is where the pearls come from when they are harvested. Then how is a pearl made? A germ, an irritant, an imperfection, an abscess is introduced into the mollusk. Somewhat like teens have problems with acne sometimes. We've all been there. Nice picture though, isn't it? An imperfection is there. Over time, the animal secretes a covering over that. Slowly it accumulating more and more of the covering, layer upon layer, which is the component of the, of the pearl. This building continues until it is harvested. When it is harvested, the animal is destroyed, killed, to obtain the pearl which has been produced inside the shell. There is no guarantee that the oyster or clam or whichever mollusk is used will, re will result or yield a pearl. So let us return to the story of the merchant seeking the pearls and show another view, which for me, as explained once, amazed me about God's planning. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Instead of you and I being the merchant, the seeker, it is suggested in this scenario that the merchant is Christ. 
It is Jesus who is seeking us. I was dead in my sin. So I could not be seeking anything. Our role in this view is to be the germ, the irritant, the imperfection, the abscess. Isn't it so much like us, though? The small irritant infects the mollusk and is trapped inside its shell that is coated again and again and again, eventually becoming a pearl. The original imperfection is not seen. It has become a new creation of great value. Like the irritant in the shell, my sin was buried in death. Christ's love covers me over and over and over again. In the end, at the time of the harvest, the mollusk's death is destroyed. And if I may put it this way, our shellfishness is destroyed. And a new creation is revealed. The original imperfection, our sin, is completely covered. It is gone. And that is, all that is seen is the beauty of the pearl, as we read from Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We can also have a picture of the church, the variety of the mollusks, each species has its own qualities in the pearls it produces. Various colors, sizes, shapes. Each pearl is unique in its qualifications. Did you know that? Different mollusks have different colors, different shapes or whichever. It surprised me, amazed me when that happened. But as we look at the church, church in China, Korea, Ukraine, Africa, Indonesia, South America, all around the world, even here at Spruce Creek in Port Orange, all the pearls God is creating that the merchant is seeking. Now let us imagine the excitement of the merchant when he finally obtains the pearl, running to show off to his father. Abba, father, look at this, look at this treasure which I purchased for you. The father would hold it and keep it, just like me and other parents who are given any of the special gifts. Each time you see a gift, you are reminded of the giver and of the times. God the Father does not see the original imperfection. No, what he sees is covered in his love, the new creation. He sees his son who sacrificed everything. It was Christ Jesus who was willing and did give up everything in order to purchase the pearl. So it reminded me of one, one poem that you may have heard recently, um, and I'd like to share that with you. It was written by Amira Brooks Welch. But as far as for a treasure that was unknown, Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin, but held it up with a smile. What am I bid, good people, he cried. Who starts the bidding for me? One dollar, one dollar. Do I hear two? Two dollars, two dollars. Who makes it three? 
$3 once, $3 twice, going for three. But no! From room far back, a gray-bearded man came forward and picked up the bow, then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings. He played a melody, pure and sweet, as sweet as the angel sings. The music ceased. The auctioneer, with a voice quiet and low, said, What now am I bid for this old violin, as he held it aloft with his bow? One thousand, one thousand, do I hear two? Two thousand, who makes it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, going and gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some cried. We just don't understand. What changed its worth? Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, as all battered and bruised with hardship, is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He is going once, going twice. He is going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd can never quite understand the worth of a soul and the change of a wrong by the touch of the master's hand. That treasure was hidden, then found, the value not fully known, with God's word as our treasure. How are you using it? With you, God's treasure, how are you being used by him? Can you now see both views of the parable? Both pictures are true and relevant. Who has gone to the garage sales and thrift store shopping and such, and you've stumbled on any valuable items? Did you pay much for them? I doubt not. As little as possible. Seeing the Antiques Roadshow and tried to guess an estimated value of the items, what treasures can be found amongst all the other stuff? The value in the authenticity. Imitations are worthless. The Bible is the truth, the only truth. It is the only treasure. We can find gems throughout the Bible. The riches of this word are revealed the more we dig into it. He proves to us the value of his treasured word. And we are the treasure and the pearl that Christ sought out, found, and purchased. He revealed to me the terrible price he paid for me, for you, and how treasured are we to him. Like the man finding the treasure and the merchant finding the pearl, after their ex initial excitement, picture Jesus approaching the Father. Father, Father! Look what I bought for you. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, Holy Father, what a, what a wonderful message from these short, short uh, passages. But how rich your word. What a, what a wonderful gift you've given to us as you've changed our lives, as you've brought us to you and the treasure. We thank you for your word, the treasure that you've given. It's in Christ's name I pray.